Hi everyone, welcome to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry of Lake Mount Worship Center, and we are on a mission to connect young adults to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can find more information on our socials, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the message for this week. Again, previously, the artist formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, okay, um, he was, I guess that's a dated joke. I guess you guys didn't get totally dated. Anyways, never mind. Uh, so, has anybody ever heard of a musician by the name of Prince? Anyone? Okay, Prince. Okay. He got into a record dispute with his record company once, and they owned the rights to his name. So, for like four years until he ended that contract, till that was due, he just went around being known as the artist formerly known as Prince just to screw the company. Anyways, so that was my joke, the artist formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. Okay, so, uh, so, oh, it was a good one. Okay, so, so, <laughs> all right, so Saul, Saul of Tarsus, he was on a bad path, okay? And uh, we're just going to jump into it and then work our way through it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning the the Christian church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. And heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. We're going to continue reading in a little bit, but I just kind of want to kind of back into this so that we understand what we're looking at here contextually in the call of the Lord on Saul of Tarsus. A few chapters earlier, there was a, a deacon in the church by the name of Stephen who was full of the Holy Spirit had great wisdom from God, and he actually had a profound ministry of actually preaching in kind of the intellectual center in Jerusalem where people could not stand up against his wisdom and the anointing of God that was on him. And he was just being used powerfully to even convince people who are Orthodox Jews that Jesus was actually the Messiah they were looking for. And he has this incredible anointing on his life, and Saul of Tarsus shows up as a lead Pharisee And as a lead Pharisee, he has the authority to absolve people of criminal penalty if he takes on their crime. If he basically could order a hit and say, you take that guy out and lay your coats right here and that will be my responsibility. I'm giving you license to terrorize. Saul of Tarsus shows up and says, everybody lay your coats here. Anyone who wants to throw rocks at this guy, you can do it. I'm giving you permission. And the people stoned Stephen. They threw rocks at him until he died. Stephen was an incredible man. This is in Acts 
chapter 7, he was so full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus standing next to God the Father. And he says, Lord, I'm asking you to not hold these people's sin against them. Forgive them. And then he died. Now, I'm backing you up that far into the story because I actually believe what happens, what we just read in Acts chapter 9 about Saul of Tarsus actually being blinded by a light from heaven and Jesus, like Jesus starts yelling at him from heaven to like straighten up and stop being, you know, such a jerk. That is an unusual pathway into the kingdom of God. Like that's unusual. Not a lot of people have had Jesus yell at them from heaven and knock them off their horse, okay? I personally believe the sacrifice of Stephen and his radically humble prayer of Lord don't hold this sin against them. I actually believe God moved in on Stephen's prayer. And from that sacrifice, he took the unorthodox step of grabbing a hold of Saul of Tarsus. Because a yielded life is no waste. See, when we live in this North American mindset, we look at Stephen and we think, what a waste. The guy's like maybe 28. What a waste. You know, serving as a deacon, he preaches one message and gets his head kicked in and dies and goes to heaven. It's because we live trying to fulfill the American dream and be Christians at the same time, and they are diametrically opposed. Stephen didn't lose out. He gained everything, if you have an eternal perspective. And his sacrifice weighed something in the courts of heaven, and God moved in on it. So here's Saul of Tarsus. Let's zero in on him now. He, he is a Pharisee. That is a ruling religious class in uh, in Jerusalem and in the Jewish culture. So they're, the, in the Jewish culture in the, in the first century, when you're reading the Gospels, what you need to recognize as you're in the New Testament is that the religious leaders and the political leaders are like one and the same as far as the Jews are concerned. So the Pharisees who are super uptight about like how many steps you take on a Sabbath and whether or not you washed your dishes properly are also in charge of the laws of the land. Like so... It's a very super buttoned-down, religious, uptight culture. And he has political power, and he has religious power. And he has been hearing the message about Jesus, and he's actually heard anointed preaching. He's actually heard Stephen preach. And the Bible says while Stephen was preaching, that last message that I was just telling you about before they threw rocks at him and he died... The Bible says that his face was shining like an angel. We talked about Moses uh, a, a few weeks back about how when he would speak to God, his face would radiate with the glory of God. Stephen had that same phenomenon in the New Testament where the glory of God was shining on his face. Like, turn the lights off and it's still bright in here because Stephen's in the room. Saul of Tarsus heard that kind of anointed preaching and still was furious and wanted to see this man silenced and wanted to see the church at this juncture in history known as the way. He wanted to see the way crushed and canceled out. You might remember this quote that I gave you a few weeks ago from A.W. Tozer. If you don't remember it or if you haven't written it down yet, this is a great quote just to kind of frame in some of your thinking as a believer. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so here is Saul of Tarsus, and what he thinks about God is the most important thing about him. But what he's thinking about God clearly is wrong. He's super zealous for God, and he's so zealous that he's violent. 
And he's so zealous that his violence becomes murderous and like terrorism. And he's so zealous and so violent that his violence has displaced God in his heart and he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know that he's not zealous for God. He's just zealous for violence. He doesn't know that. He thinks he's doing God's work. He thinks he's helping God out. He's like, oh man, these Christians, this Jesus Christ who came and died and now they're talking about him resurrected? God, I need to do you a favor and kill everybody who believes in Jesus. I'm going to do God a solid. And I'm going to start killing Christians. This is what Saul of Tarsus' thought process was. So what he thought about God was the most important thing about him. But listen to me. It's important not because of how profoundly right he was, but because of how profoundly wrong he was. And deception is when you sin by faith. It's when you think that you are right, and so you keep moving hardcore in the direction, even though you're wrong and you don't know it. You have conviction about what you're wrong about. And so you argue. You argue against others who disagree with your perspective. And if you're not strongly rooted into the Word of God, you might be arguing against God's Word and not know it. You might be arguing against God's truth and not know it. You might be arguing against God himself and not know it and think that you're speaking for him. And this is why I'm talking to you over this last number of weeks about, about needing to understand that God's holiness interprets his love, not the other way around. Because we're living in a time where people are trying to reinterpret the understanding of this living word of God and put that onto God as if we can change God's mind by changing our theology. And God actually is unchanging. And he's unchangeable. So here's Saul of Tarsus, who's a religious terrorist. And he thinks he's doing God's work with that. Saul of Tarsus was like a woke activist. Like, have you ever seen like these woke activists? Like, someone shows up and says, I, I, I think something entirely differently than you do. And woke activists are like, Well, then you can't talk here. And they'll like throw a brick and get a megaphone and scream and cry and get the, the schools to cancel as someone to come and say something that they just don't want to hear. And it's like, Well, like, you could maybe think it over what someone is saying that's different than what you, like maybe you could try to have a conversation. Maybe you could try to, you know, get it. But, but when you are in this space, what happens is you oppose uh, not only the views of others, but you're just angry and looking for someone to give you a good reason to punch them in the face. That's Saul of Tarsus. He didn't think about what the Christians were saying. He heard Stephen preach under such an anointing where he's actually looking into heaven and sees Jesus standing by the throne of God. His face is radiating like the face of an angel. And Saul hears that and is like, throw rocks at him and I'll make sure you don't get any blood on your coat. He didn't think about what they were saying. Sometimes hatred has no reason because sometimes hatred has a spiritual root. And so you can't reason with that kind of hatred. Why? Because it's animated demonically. Even in 2023. Like there can be, there can be 
dark spiritual force that animates a lack of desire to even have a conversation about who Jesus really is. It's not new. What we're living in right now, it's not new. This is what was happening to the church in Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus was on the leading edge of just trying to shut down people whom he did not agree with. I don't want to hear from you. You can't speak. I'm going to get people with political power to shut you down and silence you. And even in my conviction, I'm going to believe I'm doing God a favor by actually trying to silence you. Again, that's a spiritual root. Saul is breathing out. The, the, the verse 1 that we just read, Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the church. And he's cranking it up. Now he's spreading out. He's done this in Jerusalem, and the church has started to, to scatter. In the Greek, it's the word diaspora, and the diaspora is the church beginning to spread and, and, and run and take the gospel, the good news, with them wherever they go. And Saul is recognizing that, so now he's getting letters of authority so that he can go to Damascus. Now he's taking it on the road. He's taking his terrorism on the road, and he's trying to shut down the church in any place that he hears that it's, uh, that it's thriving. Here's the deal about Saul. He had a view of God that was rooted to an elaborate knowledge of the Bible to back up that view. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which means by the time he turned 12, he had memorized by heart the first five books of the Old Testament. Like you could walk up to him when he was 12 and go, uh, what does Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 4 say? And he could tell you. Memorized the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Torah. And he had theological training. He trained under a lead Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. And he had, he had profound intellect. He was brilliant. He spoke three languages. He was well instructed, had theological conviction and a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. And he was wrong. How do we know? Because Jesus kicked him off his horse from heaven and said so. He's like, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Like, can you imagine what that, would, what that would feel like in that moment? Like, I am doing, I'm on a mission from God. And then God's like, uh, stop persecuting me. I'm like, uh, who are you? Jesus. Just to be clear, Jesus is God. And he's like, oh, crap. I remember uh, today is my sister's birthday. We celebrated her birthday yesterday. And um, I remember when she was in grade five, uh, some of her friends uh, came up to her at school and they were, they were like, her name's Esther, and they're like, Esther's a, Esther's a virgin. And she thought that virgin meant someone who had had sex. Like she had it backwards. So they come up to her and they're like, Esther's a virgin. And she's like, I am not, you guys. And so she is passionately defending herself. I am not a virgin, you guys. And so she's like crying and telling them, they're saying that I'm a virgin. And the teacher's like, the teacher's like, well, you are, aren't you? She's like, I can't believe, no, I'm not. And she's like just wrecked by the entire thing, right? She comes home, she's crying. She has like the worst day at school ever. She comes home and she tells my mom, she's like, mom, all the girls at school are saying I'm a virgin. And mom's like, well, what's wrong with that? You are, mom. And so my mom's like, 
What do you think virgin means? Someone who's had sex. No, it's someone who hasn't had sex. Oh, no! She had to, like, go back to all her friends. I'm a virgin, you guys. I am. Okay? Take that and multiply it by a billion, okay? Here's Saul of Tarsus. He's like, I'm doing God a favor, and then God's like, stop it. Stop persecuting me. Who are you? Jesus. Dang it. Like, I got it absolutely backwards. I thought, I thought I was doing God's work, and I was actually doing the devil's work. Talk about, talk about getting it wrong, right? And so he's just, he's just, I mean, there's wrong, and then there's wrong. Like, he's wrong. And then Jesus continues, speaking to him from heaven. Get up. Like, it sounds like a dad disciplining a child. He's like, now get up and go into this city and wait. It's like, go to your room. And so Saul of Tarsus does. And he, he goes, when he opens his eyes, he can't see. He's blinded. And he's so overwhelmed. If you can put yourself in the story at all. Like, he's so overwhelmed, okay? He doesn't eat or drink for three days. Now, you can go without food for like 40 days, but to go without water for like three days is about the limit. Like, he's literally dying because he's so overcome by what a screw-up he is. I thought I was doing God's work. Imagine the conviction and then the condemnation where the devil just tries to sneak in on conviction and exploit it. That, that means that Stephen was right. And I encouraged everybody to throw rocks at him. He died right in front of me, and I was proud of myself. That means that, and he'd just be going through a list of people that he had gone with papers, knocked on their doors, dragged them from their homes, dragged people to jail, empowered others to do the work. He's a terrorist. And he's all of a sudden, confronted by Jesus himself. He's literally dying. And the thought going through his head is like, wow. Turns out my relationship with God is actually just a relationship with religious hatred. I don't know God at all. Because what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What Saul of Tarsus was engaged in, it's hard to walk back. Hard, but not impossible. Let's keep reading. Verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've, I've heard many reports about this guy and all the harm that he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's actually come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, listen to this, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Pause there. Saul's calling was directly from Jesus. And yet it's still, God still required a human vessel. Someone who would get involved and actually speak into Saul's life. He's just been knocked off his horse and Jesus is like, uh, you got it dead wrong. You're persecuting the wrong people. You're not doing my work, you're doing the devil's work. And he's blind, he can't eat, he can't drink, and he's sitting in a room dying from the grief and the, the distress in his heart. And God speaks to a man named Ananias. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ananias is probably the most underrated hero in the entire Bible. Nobody hears about Ananias. But if it wasn't for Ananias, you don't hear about Saul becoming the Apostle Paul. He hears from God in the place of prayer. He's been praying. What's he been praying about? Oh, Lord, I heard Saul of Tarsus is coming to Damascus. Protect your church. Give us strength. God, please protect us. Help us to stand up under this persecution. And then Jesus speaks to him in a vision. Hey, I need you to go to, like God gives Ananias GPS directions to someone's house. This guy hears God on a whole other level. I need you to just go over to uh, Judah's house on Straight Street and ask for a guy named Saul of Tarsus, as if Ananias doesn't know who that is. Oh, I've heard of that guy. Yeah, I, he's praying, and I, I, I want, I've shown him that you're going to come and just pray with him. Um, Lord, I, I don't know if you know this, but he's a really bad dude. I'd like, God, I, like, I appreciate that you're talking to me right now. I'm just wondering if you know what you're talking about. This is, this is hardcore. Like this, is, this is Jesus saying, hey, I want you to just uh, you know, take a plane and go to Afghanistan and look up a guy named Osama bin Laden and just see if you, you could just uh, pray with him. Like, Os- Osama bin Laden? Okay. Saul's a terrorist. He's a hitman, and he's got legal documents that approve his terror campaign, and God tells Ananias to go and pray for him. Okay, let's keep reading because Ananias, he goes and does it. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul. Think of that. First word out of his mouth, brother. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Imagine being Saul, sitting in a spiritual prison and a physical prison of darkness. He's been blinded physically to expose the blindness of his spiritual state as a Pharisee bound to a religious interpretation that could not recognize Jesus. And then Jesus assaults him on the road and says, you're doing it all wrong. And then he's sitting in this room. He can't eat. He can't drink. Imagine you hear the door open and a hand is placed on your head. And the first word you hear is, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me here. The Lord Jesus, whom you met on the road. Like, oh, God knows me. And he sent someone to welcome me into into his family. These people that I persecuted, like no doubt 
Ananias knew somebody who had been persecuted. Ananias would at least have known the story of Stephen. Maybe he knew Stephen personally. But he would have known others that were on the receiving end of Saul's violence. And yet he gets a word from God, and that word moves him beyond natural fear into supernatural faith. And he steps through a door and in obedience puts his hand on a terrorist's head and calls him brother. And says, the Lord who met you on the road sent me here to pray with you so that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's radical, obedient faith. So before God could use Saul of Tarsus, he needed to confront Saul's horrible theology. And the same is true of every person in this room. Theology. Two words smashed together. Theos meaning God. Logos meaning words. Your words about God matter. Your theology matters. What you say about God. What you think about God. What comes into mind, into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What does that mean? Your theology is the most important thing about you. So, so Saul of Tarsus is running around with papers from officials who are empowering him in the wrong direction. I'm not ignorant to the fact that you guys could go on to any social media platform and hear anybody pontificate on their ideas about Jesus. And some of you like stuff that you got no business liking because it's bogus. It's, it's foolishness. It's actually unbiblical. And, and, and we can just go out there and, and absorb it and go, yeah, I, I think a little of that too. And if we don't actually watch over our theology, we actually become a vessel that is flawed in terms of how can God use us if we get screwed up in our words and thoughts about God himself. And I start thinking wrong about God, and then I'm like, God, use me. He's like, I would love to, but you think I'm a woman. I, I'd love to. But you got these weird ideas that are just like, you know, floating in the air. And you latch onto it and go, yeah, I think that God's like that too. You just stick that on there. And, and God's like, yeah, that doesn't stick. And you're like, it sticks for me. And you're just like, you can, like, Saul of Tarsus had an idea about God that he was fully convinced was actually God. And he didn't know God at all. And he thought he was doing God's work. Before God could use Saul, before he could call him, he had to disrupt his ridiculous theology. The words about God that Saul had built his life around needed to be shook down to the foundation of who Jesus is. The most important thing in your life is what you say about Jesus. When Jesus sat with his disciples and he said, what's everyone saying up there? What's in the gossip mill? What, what do who do people say that I am? And there were some weird ideas. Well, some people think you're a dead prophet who came back to life. Really? Reincarnation. Weird. Anything else? Well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Really? My dead cousin. Weird. Yes. And then Jesus asked this question to them, which is the most important question anyone in this room will ever be asked. And you're being asked it right now. Jesus said, who do you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? What you say about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And I, I want to let you know that the answer is an open book test. Your ideas about Jesus, like your ideas about Jesus 
matter less than God's revelation of himself. And what we need to do is build our lives on who Jesus is, even the things that we struggle with or have a hard time agreeing with because we're living in a culture that pushes in directions that are specifically antichrist. Like, I don't know how much you've read, but actually we're living in a time where the spirit of the antichrist is at work. That means there's a pervasive atmosphere that is directly opposed to who Jesus is. And you can't live in that, breathe that, drink that, swallow that, all of that around you all the time, and it not affect you. And what we need to confront is if there's something that's anti-Christ out there and I'm taking it in here, it's going to mess with me. And some of us are more discipled by Hollywood than we are the Word of God. Our view on dating isn't Bible, it's Hollywood. Our view on, like, like people's, like, it comes out at funerals and stuff. Like someone dies and Christians will be like, well, now he's just watching over us. Like, what are you watching, Highway to Heaven or reading the Bible? And people think when you die, you become an angel. Like, have you read the Bible? Angels are a totally different creation. And people are like, now, you know, like, like, well, I guess God just needed another angel. No, he didn't, actually. We live in an information age, which is nothing like knowledge at all. And it's nothing like wisdom at all. You have at your disposal for free what people went to Bible college for years, like years ago. Like they paid good money to go and get a Greek, you know, lexicon and all this stuff. Now you can just click on the Greek meaning of the word. It's all right there. And people are like, I guess God needed another angel. Like, what are you talking about? Somebody says some stupid thing that sounds kind of, oh, that made me think for a second and just give it a little heart. I like that. Why do you like that? I don't know. But now it's on the inside of me. And I'm thinking wrong about God. But big deal, I'm on a journey. Well, then get serious about your journey. It's right here. Jesus said this. He said, the person who listens to my word and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. But the person who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, so you can hear the word, but if you don't put it into practice, right? He's just, you're like a guy who builds his house on the sand. When the storm comes, your house washes away. You're like, oh, God, let me down. It's like, no, you let you down. God told you to build over there. You're like, yeah, but I wanted a beachfront property. Yeah, until the tsunami came. James says, okay, James says that someone who looks into the mirror of God's word and doesn't change is like someone who looks into a mirror and forgets what they look like. What kind of stupid is someone who forgets what they look like? Like you just walk by another mirror and you're like, Whoa, who's that? I've got a shirt just like that one. <laughs> Looking at the mirror of God's word, listen, what kind of person looks in the mirror and notices that their hair is like all over the place and tries to fix the mirror? <laughs> this guy's hair is just so weird. Dude, 
this needs to change. The mirror is the mirror. It's just showing you what's there. And you're like trying to change the word. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if that sounds like the kind of God I want to believe in. Well, what if that's who he is? Well, I don't know if I like that. You think God's up in heaven going, oh, man, I lost a vote. And you think God, God's up in heaven going, oh, I'm losing popularity with the kids. You can't change your physical appearance by trying to adjust the mirror. The mirror is just telling you the truth. It's the mirror of God's word. It's just going to tell you the truth. So if you spent more time in here, you might realize you're persecuting me. But when we put this away, see, when I, was, when I was a kid, I worked at Home Hardware, the home of the handyman. And one of my jobs at Home Hardware was cutting keys. And what they would do when you would cut a key is you'd have this, you know, this thing that had all the different blanks on it. And someone would come in and they would give you their key that they wanted a, a new copy made of. And you would go on to the spinning, you know, whatever it was, like a thing with sunglasses except for it had keys on it, okay? And you'd take the, the key off that matches it, and you'd put the master key into one side of this cutting machine and then put the blank in front of a cutting wheel. And when you pressed the, 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 the blank forward, the, the actual key would follow a guide and right married next to it is where the blade was and that blade would cut into this blank key the same grooves on this one. And then you would take all the burrs off of it, look at it, hold it up, and give it to somebody and they would have another key. But I learned something when I worked there is that if someone had an original master key and I cut a copy off of that, that key would work every time. But if someone came in and they had a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and then I cut them a key, they would come back and go, this key doesn't work. Because although it looks exactly like the original, the, uh, the microscopic adjustments of copies of copies of copies make it so that this reproduction eventually doesn't have the grooves in the exact right spot, and it will never turn the lock. And so if I'm not spending time in the mirror of God's word, if I'm not spending time in the source, if I'm not spending time seeking God for who he is, if I'm just getting my devotions off of Instagram, and if I'm just listening to some Christian influencer on TikTok, they could be right or they could be wrong. And if the depth of my pursuit is copying someone's key, and I've got a copy of a copy of a copy, eventually you won't have the keys of the kingdom. You'll have knockoffs that won't open anything that you think that you have authority to in your place of prayer. Because it's wrong theology. So before God could use Saul, he had to confront his wrong thoughts and words about God. So I want to give you three things really quickly that God wants to do learning from Saul's calling. First of all, we need to develop a love for God's word. You need a love for God's word. And that love needs to push you towards more of the author, not just more knowledge. God's word is meant to lead me to him. 
not to other books and other ideas and getting smarter and smarter and smarter in my, did you, did you know that in the first century that when they made wine, they used, who cares? Like learn for curiosity and grow, but like get to the author, not just to try to impress people with some random fact about whatever, first century Jewish culture. Knowing about someone and knowing someone is two totally different things. There are girls in this room who know so much about Harry Styles. You don't know Harry Styles. You just know about Harry. You could know his birthday, his eye color, his favorite food. You could, you could know, uh, you know everything. You can know his mom's name. You can know his sisters. You could know, you could know everything about him. And when he walks in the room, you're like, Harry Styles, ah! and to fall over and collapse. That's weird because that's not how relationships work, number one. Number two, you're a stranger to him. Why? Because you just know about him. You don't know him. Saul had a knowledge of God on paper without a love for God in person. And like a typical Pharisee, he did not recognize God in the flesh because his theology, his words about God, didn't allow for it. Even when Stephen is preaching under such an anointing that he's glowing in the dark, he still misses it. You know, how is that possible? Well, read the Gospels. How can Pharisees sit in a room where miracles are happening that we're like, that's amazing, and Pharisees are sitting there going, we need to kill this guy. Like Jesus, John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Crazy, amazing miracle. He's dead for four days. And he's like, okay, tell him to come on out of the tomb. They're like, what? And then he comes out of the tomb, and the Pharisees are like, we have to kill him and Lazarus now because everyone's going to believe in him. Like, do you understand that's not, that's not logical? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. So we need to get our theology right. We need a love for God's word. Secondly, you need a love for God's presence. Without being in the presence of God, you can spiritualize literally any kind of behavior. You can justify any kind of behavior. Trust me, I've been in this long enough. I've heard everything. I've heard everything. Well, people will try to justify anything. I was speaking at a youth conference once. It was, I, I used to do these guys' talks called the booby trap. It's a good title, right? Anyway. I did. And so I'm talking about somebody like, what's so funny? The booby trap. Get it? Okay, anyway, so I'm I'm talking to guys about, you know, sexual purity and just talking about, you know, whatever, and just just what God, you know, his standard for sexuality and all of this stuff. Just, you know, basic, if you're in the word, just basic. Like, you know, sex is for men and a woman in marriage, that kind of stuff. And this youth pastor comes up to me after, and he's got, like, all his kids behind him. And he's like, so, um, like, my wife and I, like, I appreciate what you're saying. My wife and I, like, we, we had sex. Because I said, like, you can't justify it even if you're going to get married. And he's like, my wife and I had sex because we knew we were going to get married. But we were too young. And so I just felt like that was God's gift to us. I'm like, I a youth pastor. Like, so anyways, we, we were having sex, and then we got married. So it was okay. I'm like, okay, well, I have another seminar to do right now. I have two questions for you. Number one, if you guys broke up, would you have got a divorce or would you just have broken up? Number two, what is fornication? By, right, like it's just, people will literally try to justify anything and spiritualize it. But when you're in the presence of God, see, it's in the presence of God, it's a relationship. See, relationships aren't based on lists. Like, 
When Lisa and I got married, we didn't sign a 35,000-page document with every possible contingency in, in there of you've got to agree that you won't do this and you won't do this and you won't do this. So if I took another woman out for dinner and a movie, how many think that my wife might be mad about that? Anyone? Okay, those that don't have raised hands don't know my wife. Okay? <laughs> so, if I, so if I took another woman out for dinner and a movie, she would be upset at me. Why? Because that's her space. And that's our space. And when I give that to someone else, that's a betrayal. And you're like, well, you didn't do anything. You have friends and you can whatever. Okay, whatever. But if I said to her when she confronted me, if I said to her, where is it written down that I can't take another woman out to dinner and a movie? It would show my lack of intimate knowledge of my wife. Because true intimacy and true relationship isn't rooted in a list. It's rooted in knowledge that comes from the intimacy. I know that that would be offensive to you because I am in love with you and our communication doesn't require a 35,000-page document with a bunch of do's and don'ts on it. It's written on my heart because of intimacy. So I'm going to let you in on a secret. The most legalistic people in the world are people who are trying to get away with something. What do I mean? I mean, it's the most, the most legalistic people in the world are going, well, where does it say in the Bible that you can't? And it's always something stupid. Where does it say in the Bible that you can't smoke pot? Or whatever the kids are calling it these days. Where does it say? That's so legalistic. You're not talking about relationship with God. You're talking about what can I get away with legally? How can I get to heaven and still do a bunch of crazy stuff? But that's not the language of relationship. And what, what you can never understand is the language of relationship. You can never understand it until you move deeper into relationship. Once you move deeper into relationship, you're like, oh, yeah, it's not about rules at all. And the, the legalistic person is a person who's trying to get away with something. But the legalistic person will tell you you're religious if you don't jump in and do every stupid thing they want to do. You're like, you're so religious. But guess what? Everything sounds like religion to someone who has no standards. So we need to have a love for God's presence. It's legalism to look for what you can get away with and still go to heaven. But when you love the presence of the Lord, you know the things that come from love, not from rules. Thirdly and finally, you need to get a love for God's people. Saul hated the church. And when Jesus saved him, he called him to be a builder of the church. Okay? You can't truly love me and hate my wife. It, it just doesn't work that way. Okay? So you can't love Jesus and hate the local church. It's just not possible. There's people like, I love Jesus, but I just don't love church. Really? Like, Jesus calls the church his bride. And you, you think, like, if you think you can be like, hey, listen, Matt, I really enjoy you, and I would love to hang out, and I, we should just, we should hang out. Let's go to Florida. Don't bring your wife. I can't stand her, but I like you. Guess what? This friendship is not going to work. Why? 
Oh, guys, if I have to explain that, you're not ready for a relationship. Okay, so part of loving Jesus is loving his people. And as much as Jesus calls you personally, he doesn't call you into a singular relationship with him. He calls you into a family. I've seen stuff on Instagram that says otherwise. Hey, you know what? You just need to get your personal relationship with God down pat and everything else will fall in place. Sounds good, except for you're not called to live as an island unto yourself. Like in the very beginning, God had Adam all to himself and he was like, you need friends. Like God was saying everything was good at creation. This is good. This is good. He makes man. He's like, this is very good. And then after a couple years of it, he's like, you need a girlfriend. God had Adam all to himself, and he was like, you need to get out more. God puts us in community. So I'm, I'm, you know, a little spoiler alert, okay? Lake Mount Young Adults is not church. This is an expression of a local church. But this is not what local church looks like. Because everyone in this room relatively looks and sounds the same, relatively. Around the same age, around the same stage, you got a lot of the same things going on. You're like, uh-uh, I'm totally unique. I'm totally different. Okay. And then all the other people. Okay. But the local church has babies in diapers and seniors with walkers. It has everybody in between. And, and it's, it's important that you have a growing heart for God's people, and it's important that you have room in your heart for people who aren't like you, don't look like you, but they love the same Jesus as you. The sound in heaven, when John heard worship, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, he saw and heard people of every color, every language, every, like, it was just like, there was all of this kind of United Nations thing going on in heaven. Like, your culture comes with you into heaven. Your language comes with you into heaven. And so, there has to be a look of that on earth while we do life together. And so, to me, the best picture of the local church in all the Bible is the children of Israel wandering through a wilderness together. You can't go at the speed of the young adults. You'd just be ripping. And all of you old people are just over in the corner just like, oh, my angina is killing me. You know, right? You have all the babies just like, wait up, Dad. You know, just, right? So the fact is, you have to move at a pace where everybody can go together. That's local church. So what's, what's this? This is a, a group of people in the same age and stage where there is something that God actually does in these kind of catalytic environments. But make no mistake, this is an expression within a local church. This isn't local church. You need people who don't look like you, don't sound like you, and are at a totally different stage than you. You need people that you think are not cool, but they've been living for Jesus for longer than you've been alive. You need those people in your life. You need to see some people who've stayed married for 50 years and just go, okay, it's possible. You need, you need to just be surrounded with people from all different walks and stages. You need to get a love for the people of God. Okay, stand to your feet. <sighs> Sorry I preached so long again. <laughs> I can't help it. Honestly, I just, I, I actually really believe that what God wants to do in us tonight is, is these things. He wants to give us a real love for his word, a real love for his presence, and a real love for his people. And the reason he does is because it needs to happen. It's not okay for us to have weird ideas about God and just be like, I'm on a journey. 
take your journey seriously and get into the word of God. There's no reason in 2020-23 that anybody should be biblically illiterate. If you can read, you can be a theologian. You can be a Bible student. There's so much available. You can dig in. Do it. Love the word. Ask God for love for the word. Get a love for his presence. Not just in corporate worship settings. Because that would mean that you maybe get with God like an hour or two a week. But get a love for his presence as a lifestyle. Because it's the overflow. The, re the relationship example I was giving to you is, listen, I'm not reaching when I give you that example. The Apostle Paul later writes about how the church is like a marriage. The relationship between a husband and wife is like the relationship that we have as local church believers to Jesus. If it wouldn't fly in a marriage, it doesn't fly with him. Like, oh, God's so gracious, he'll forgive me. Can you imagine? If I, it was like, oh, Lisa loves me so much, she'll forgive me if I just do something stupid. If I'm just, yeah, I know she wouldn't like it, but she has to forgive me, and she will. Is that what love sounds like? And the, and the Apostle Paul says, but that's what, that's what our relationship with God's like. It doesn't fly in marriage, it doesn't fly with Jesus. We need to love for his word, we need a love for his presence. We need a love for his people. All kinds of his people. Would you close your eyes? I want to pray. And I want us to just seize the opportunity to, to take time in prayer together. Do you want to come, Rachel? Just to, to take some time just to actually let God take his word and, and have it go deeper into our hearts tonight. Because what really matters here tonight, there's all kinds of things that God by His Spirit will be highlighting to, to everybody in this room. You know, if there's 130 people in the room, one message is preached, but 130 messages are heard because the Holy Spirit actually tailors what He's saying right to you and says, like, I'm trying to knock on the door of your heart right here. This is something that I'm getting your attention on. There's things that God is pressing into your heart tonight that you, you need to actually take seriously and let Him do business in your heart. Like Jesus took it so seriously that Saul was on the wrong road and he took Stephen's prayer so seriously that he arrested Saul. But then he awakened an Ananias and said, you need to go and lay hands on that brother. Before he could use Saul, he needed to correct some things. And humility says that that's true for us too. God if there's things that I think about you that I've just picked up on the internet or I just haven't investigated or actually done the work, like I've never actually even read through the Bible yet. Or I just, I just see reading the Bible as like, you know, thinking about a billion other things and I'm just not really wanting to hear from God. Like we need a love for the word that comes from him. And so tonight, this is, this is, this is our call. This is our call to prayer. If you would say tonight, you know what, I, I really, I want God to deepen in me those things. I want him to deepen in me a love for his word. If, that, if that's you, I just want you to acknowledge it. Just raise your hand. God, I, I want a deeper love for your word. If you'd say, Lord, I, I really need you to do a work in me. To give me a deeper love for your presence. Again, I just want you to raise your hand. Just say, that's me. Lord, I need you to do a deeper work in me in, in, in love for your people. 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the time that you can right now. Some of you might need to go have some other things that you need to get to. But we do have some times, quarter after nine, we've got some time where we could actually turn this room into a devotional space of prayer where we could let God deal with our hearts. If you raise your hand and, you, and you've, you've got some time and you really meant it, I'm going to call you out from your seats. And I just want you to get to the altar and I want you to get before God again. Why does that matter? Because I'm letting myself, I'm telling my body, this matters to me. I'm, I'm moving out on the word of God. And I'm saying, God, I need you to do this work in me. Adjust me where I've got weird ideas about you. Make me a student of your word. Make me a lover of your presence. And make me a lover of your people. And so I'm going to pray for you. And as I'm praying and you, and, and you want to come, I just, you can even come while I begin to pray. And we're just going to seek the Lord together tonight. Father, I'm praying for every person in the sound of my voice and every person who just raised their hand saying, Lord, I need you to do this work in me. Lord, I'm asking that what you would do in this room tonight is by your Holy Spirit. Just take your word and, Lord, like a seed, let it go deep into our hearts. Let it bear fruit in us. Let it, let it start to just put roots into us. God, we want our theology, our words about you, our thoughts about you. We want it to line up with who you are. Not just the, the flavor of the day. We recognize the spirit of the Antichrist all around us. And we don't want to get duped into it. We, we really want to see Jesus. So, Father, my prayer tonight is the prayer that the Apostle prayed over the, the Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesian church. I pray, Lord, that you would give to each person in this room the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know Jesus better. And I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be open so that we could know the riches of your grace in the church and that we could know the power, the working of your mighty power in us who believe. Holy Spirit, would you do that work in us? Reveal Jesus to us. And I pray, Lord, tonight would be a turning point night for us that, God, there would just there would, you would grace us with love for your word. Come on, if you're standing here praying for that, just stretch your hands up. God, grace me with love for your word. Do it in me. I'm not asking you, Lord, to do it for me, but I'm asking you to do it in me. Do a, a work of grace in me. Empower me with a greater love for your word, to know you deeper, to be diligent in following after you. Lord, I'm, I'm praying, Lord, that you would grace us with love for your presence. Not just in the corporate place, but Lord, even in our private times, to be those, Lord, who come after you. Holy Spirit, would you grace us with a love for the local church? Give us eyes to see, Lord, people that are older than us, people that aren't as cool as us, people that are in a totally different stage of life than us. Give us eyes of love and compassion. Lord, give us hearts to serve in the house of God, to serve your people. I pray, Lord, tonight as we just spend some time in your presence, that, Lord, this work would go deep in us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just take some time. Just pray. Let the Lord continue to deepen this work in you. You might want to journal some of that stuff, write some stuff down. You might want to pray together with other people, but we're going to just... Yeah, just take this time before the Lord together in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. For more information, please visit us at lakemount.ca or follow us on Instagram at lakemountya. Have an amazing week and we hope to see you soon.